Would you please take your Bible again and open to the book of Acts in the New Testament? If you're visiting with us this morning, you find us in the middle of a series on the book of Acts. And this morning's text finds us in the 20th chapter, verse 25, where Paul is addressing the overseers, the leaders to the church of Ephesus, having after having just expounded his own ministry to them. And you might think, think that the first thing the Apostle Paul would say after just expounding what he had endured in his own ministry to them, you would wonder that the Apostle Paul doesn't, first of all, say, run, man, get out of here as fast as you can. What do you think you're doing? Those of you that have been involved deeply in the lives of people, perhaps a spouse has been or a parent has been or a sibling has been, you would be familiar with the words that I heard recently that there's no special privilege in being a minister of the gospel, only special pain. They are very solemn words. Paul talks about being innocent of your blood. They are also very emotional words where Paul weeps over them and prays for them and says, I'll never see you again. The main point that I would like you to take home with you this morning is very simply this. It's a simple message. Is that the people that we allow and seek to have in our lives makes a huge difference. And if I were to talk about Jesus Christ coming into your life as a Savior, to talk about fathoming for the first time just how profoundly deep the grace of God is for people who continue to fail. People who have helped you to endure and persevere and make decisions that say, I'm going to keep following Christ. That those wonderful truths are not in isolation from people's faces who have brought those things into your life. And so that, that's the simple truth. Who do we set before us as the as the psalmist said, who do we set before us as our ministers? And as we come to the Lord's table today, I will guide you to say ultimately there is only one that we set before us as our chief minister, the one who alone can forgive our sins and give us the hope of eternal life in heaven. But the Bible is very clear in what kind of people can help us spiritually. And the people that we bring into our life are very rarely benign or innocuous. They usually either retard or advance our spiritual condition. As I read the text, before I read the text, and I want to just help you to notice a couple of things. And Notice, first of all, the, the parallel nature between what Paul says and the ministry of Christ. Both said their farewells. Both had final words. Both, both wept and prayed over those whom they were leaving and then said, I have to go. And there are, are things that are very congruent and things that are very much similar. And so I want you to notice the incarnational nature 
of the words that Paul says to the Ephesian elders. And what I mean by incarnational is that there's something congruent. There's something similar with the kind of people who can bring spiritual blessing in our lives and the way that Jesus Christ came into the world. See, that's the incarnation. And there's something always incarnational about the fundamental nature and quality of the people who can bless us spiritually. Doesn't it make sense to you that the people who are going to minister to and bless the people who are the redeemed are going to have something analogous, something concurrent with the one who came into the world to bring redemption? And so there's something something incarnational. See, the book of Acts isn't an island all into itself. It's a bridge. And the bridge on one side is to the Gospels. And you can't go on talking about Paul without ever getting to Christ because Paul is very simply a minister of Christ. I want you to notice how incarnational it is. I also want you to notice just how foundational and simple and clear and plain Paul's words are to the Ephesians elders. Paul makes something very explicit here. He says, I'm never going to see you again. Okay? This is very significant. I'm not going to see you again. Therefore, I'm going to tell you what in my mind is the most important thing that you need to know and understand about the priorities of a church. It's, it's a tremendous thing. It, it, it's, a, it's a gem. It, it's, a, it's a jewel. Do you ever, ever just wish that on, on any particular subject that, that Paul, why didn't you tell us more? Why didn't you tell us more about church government? Why didn't you tell us more about eschatology? Why didn't you tell us more about certain things? And But this, Paul does. About the priorities of the church. And it's foundational. And so the book of, the book of Acts is not an island. It has this bridge to the Gospels, but it also has a bridge to the Epistles because it's congruent with what Paul would go on to say in the Epistles as well. The book of Acts is studied for all different kinds of purposes and in many different ways. And I sit through a lot of stuff, I'm sure you have too, that talk about this very subject. What are the priorities of the church? What are the things that are going to be most important to us? And a lot of those discussions, a lot of those seminars, a lot of those things go to the book of Acts. And, and they'll, they'll talk, some people talk about signs and wonders from Acts chapter 2. And some people talk about communal living also from Acts chapter 2. And some people talk about missiology and studying the journeys and the travelings of Paul. Some people talk about church planting. And some people talk about apologetics. All of these come from the book of Acts. And all of those things are good, but none of them are best if they become the foundation. In fact, those things are worse if they become a mask for a church that has lost its foundation. And so, if you don't get anything else from this text this morning, just this is such a simple thing, but it's so important. It's simply asking the question, what does the apostle actually say? It's such a significant thing. This is, of course, not the last words to the Ephesians church. There are many more parts of the scripture that are directed to this same church. But the last one is in Revelation chapter 2, where, where John says, Christ says through John to the church in Ephesus, you're full of good works. 
You've got all of that good stuff, but you're spiritually sick. You're spiritually sick. And a lot of that good stuff comes because we know we're spiritually sick. You think, well, if we could just do this, if we could just do that, if we can have this, then same. What's, what's congruent with the way that the, the apostle actually speaks? What does the apostle actually say himself? A very, very significant text. I'm going to read the text. Please allow me to read it with explanation. I'm sorry for, for those interruptions. I know they can be very annoying, but I am going to read the text, stopping for explanation, starting at, in chapter 20 at verse 25 where the Apostle Paul says, Now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. What is the whole counsel of God? It is the person and work of Jesus Christ. There is nothing insufficient in the, in the entire counsel of God that Jesus Christ does not make manifest. And Paul is in the old prophetic tradition here saying, well, the innocent of your blood, what does that mean? Well, it's from Ezekiel chapter 33 where Paul decla- or the God declares there to the prophet that I will hold you accountable for the blood of those for whom you do not declare my word fully. Verse 28, pay careful attention to everybody. Are you following? It's not what it says. It says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, not just some of the flock, not just to those who give, not just to those who are like you, but to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Who makes overseers? This is good for Baptists to remember once in a while, isn't it? <laughs> the Holy Spirit makes overseers. There's nothing contradictory about a Holy Spirit-filled church recognizing those who are overseers. But it is the Holy Spirit who qualifies those people to care for the church of God. Look at this. To care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. In other words, that's God's blood. And it speaks to the absolute uniqueness. Paul declares the absolute uniqueness of God's people. that they are the purchased, the redeemed of God. In other words, the latest business methodologies aren't going to work here. All of the theorizing and planning and strategizing and consulting is irrelevant because we're not marketing something. We're not selling something. We're ministering to a particular people. 
And it's very clear here that what an overseer's job is, is not to prepare or to, to, to give people ways through their structures and services and their position and their power for them to attain to God. They're already purchased of God. By his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves, don't know any other kind of wolf, but a fierce wolf, these are such solemn words, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves. Disturbing words, aren't they? Jesus called them, Wolves in sheep clothing in Matthew chapter 7. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. Twisted things to draw away disciples after them. See, people want disciples. There's just something pompous and natural about people. They want followers. So did the devil. And this word twisted thing is something that goes all the way back to the garden of Genesis chapter 3. Crafty. Draw them away. And it's always rooted in the same thing. Always appeals to the same thing. A human pride. Wanting to have something, participate in something of Godhood which does not belong to us. Verse 31, therefore be alert. You see again the key or the plain connection to the words of Jesus. Constantly watch out, be watchful. Therefore be alert, Paul says, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God. And to the word of his grace. which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Notice how that word of grace is spoken of here. Paul is praying for them, commending them to God, that the word of grace, not that they would give out the word of grace only, not that the words of grace would be on their lips and on their tongues, but that they themselves would be built up by that word of grace. See, the word of grace isn't just the instrument that, that which ministers handle. It's the substance that makes the minister. It's grace. I don't want anybody ministering to me who's just talking about grace. I want people ministering to me who are full of that same grace and are ministering to me because they are full of grace. Just like Jesus is described in John chapter 1 coming into the world. Not come simply to to give grace, but he came and he gave grace because he was himself full. Full of grace and truth. People will destroy you. If you yourself are not constantly built up in the same grace of God of which we speak. Verse 33. I coveted no one's silver, gold, 
or apparel. This also is in a very old tradition of prophetic speak, which comes from First Samuel, where when Samuel concluded, the last of the great judges, concluded his ministry and put his people on the stand and said, have I taken any of your ox? Have I fleeced you? And the people all said no. And Paul does the same thing. You know yourselves that these hands ministered to my... When Paul's speaking of his own hands here, you know yourselves that these hands, which were probably blistered, calloused hands... In other words, the gospel ministry is not just for people who don't know how to work otherwise. These hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Those words don't appear in the gospel. If you're flipping back, you won't find it. But we know that Jesus spoke many more things than what is recorded in the gospels, and there you have one of them. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. This reminds me of John chapter 17 where Jesus says, I've done, I've done everything you've called me to do, Father. I am innocent of these people's blood. Everything that the Father has given me, all the words that the Father gave me, I've given to them. And then he prays for them. And there was much weeping on the part of all. There's natural affection. As I spoke at the beginning about those people in our lives, I'm sure you you thought of them with affection. I know I certainly do. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. Prepared to die. And they accompanied him to the ship. I have three brief points to summarize this passage this morning. As I read this over and over, the word that I kept writing down in my own notes to try to sum up the message of this passage was the word integrity. You know what the word means? It means it's something that is without corruption. You know what structural integrity is? When you kick a post, you don't want to feel it give. You don't want to know that there's on the veneer of wood on the outside that there's rot on the inside. That is a lack of integrity. When it rains, you don't want to have to be putting buckets through the house because that means your roof lacks integrity. You know what a friend, you know what integrity is in friendships? Well, there is also an integrity in the gospel ministry. This is cutting edge ministry. You know, when someone says they're cutting edge, it usually means that in five years they'll be doing something completely different. For the Apostle Paul, I think integrity sums up the gospel ministry that is not corrupted. It gives you that sense that it's, that it's sound all the way through. 
that it's incarnational in its nature and its character. In other words, there's a connection to Christ, but there's also a connection to the way that the apostles actually expound Christ in in their instructions to the churches later in the epistles. First of all, in integrity with power. And integrity with power. Gospel ministry and those who can help us spiritually. Know a dependence upon the power of the Spirit and not the manipulative, controlling, Devices that are alternatives. That is how Christ came into the world. It is how Christ ministers, minister to the body that he came to purchase when he came in to the world. In the power of the Holy Spirit. Who makes them overseers. The Apostle Paul also says in 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I came to you not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, that your faith would not rest on man's wisdom, but upon God's power. See, religion has a lot of power. It scares me to death, actually. It has tremendous power to influence people. It's like a dangerous weapon. The power of guilt. The power of law. The power of emotionalism. power of drums and bass guitars. They're wonderful instruments, but they're no substitute for the power of God. But there is no power that can establish what really matters, which is the new creation in each of us. You see, what matters what the only spiritual health that ever really comes to us is that we be made new people. It doesn't matter if we conform to other people's expectations. That's not the new creation. Those of you that are parents will recognize this. As wonderful it is the calling of parenthood to disciple and train children. There comes a point where you cast yourself on the Lord and say, Lord, I have no power. I have no power. I cannot manipulate. I cannot control. I cannot contrive my children into the kingdom of God. And you know what? Your children know the difference. And sheep should know the difference too. Integrity of purpose. That purpose is servanthood. 
That's the purpose. That's the purpose with which Christ came into the world to serve. And so Paul also says that those who bring spiritual health into our lives will be servants, shepherds, people who feed the flock, not fleece the flock, people who defend the flock, not defraud the flock. Another way to put it would be people who have sincere love. As Christ came into the world, his integrity of purpose is shown by the fact that that is what his love was. It was a sincere love, a sincere love that had no bottom to it, no no end to its depth, never ran out, but a sincere love for all the ones that his heavenly Father gave to him. And because of his sincere love for all of those that the heavenly Father gave to him, he wanted to feed them in the knowledge of God. He wanted to protect them from those who would not feed them in the false knowledge of God. And he was zealous for the shepherd and feeding and defending. I love that about the incarnation. And that's a work of grace. As Paul prays for the Ephesians elders, I commend you to the word of grace. Just as previously, the integrity of power. When people have integrity with power, it's a manifestation that they themselves are comprehending and grasping grace. So it also, it is with sincere love. It can run out. There's only one whose bottom, or depth has no bottom when it comes to sincere love, and that's Christ. We all hit a very hard bottom. And it's a work of grace to be built up into to have sincere love for others. To continue to have sincere love. But, but get this. By God's providence, God brings people like that into our lives. Recognize them. Find them. Identify them. Mark them. People with sincere love. And bring them into your life. Integrity with possessions is the third and final. Again, Christ. Christ, this is the incarnation. Christ came into the world not holding and using and adhering to the things of this kingdom, of this world, but of another kingdom of an inheritance that was not on earth, but an inheritance that was in heaven. That is how Christ came into the world. It only makes sense that those who minister to those people